Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. Welcome back to season two of You Don't Have the Range. I am your host, Sincerely Owosa. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Wow, it's been um, a really fast two weeks. Honestly, I barely felt it. I feel like it could have been longer, actually. <laughs> but um, I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back. I'm not as excited about this episode because I feel like this episode is going to be really deep and um I'm going to go to some dark places I don't want to go to, but um, it needs to be done. And I really want to talk about this topic. Um, It's something that has been on my heart for a really, really long time, especially this month. Um, Now, as you guys know, one of the main partners of my podcast is BetterHelp. And I cannot even go into this podcast really without mentioning mental health and therapy. And I feel like it's really good to mention that first and foremost, because it's so important to this conversation. Um, now I've been using BetterHelp for almost almost over a year, I think, actually, because I started using it in, I believe, um, April, May, March or April of 2020. And honestly, it's helped me get through this pandemic so, so much. So BetterHelp, have a network of over 9,000 different therapists and they all specialize in different things, different areas. I wanted a therapist that specialized in anxiety and self-harm as well as other issues and I also really wanted a therapist who was black Uh, a woman and also a Christian but aside from that there are so many different types of therapists on the website And the great thing is that they have a questionnaire that you can fill in that basically asks you everything that you're looking for in a therapist. And it makes it a lot easier for them to find the perfect fit for you. They also have a 10% off offer for my listeners. So if you use my link that is in in the show notes, you will get 10% off of all of your therapy sessions. Now, the therapy sessions are online. So it means that you don't have to go in. You don't have have to have any physical contact. And it's also amazing in the sense that you can use different ways of contacting your therapist. So you have 24-7 access to your therapist by messaging them. And you can also have video calls in terms of your sessions or you can have just like voice calls. And I like that you like when I can see my therapist, I just feel like it's a lot more personable. Um, And it just makes the whole experience a lot more relaxing, I guess, and a lot more. Um, there's just more of a connection there but yes if you do want to get 10% off of all of your therapy sessions the link is in the show notes and that will take you to the BetterHelp website and it will automatically apply the discount for you. Now let's get into the podcast. So self-harm that is what we're going to be talking about today. I'm actually surprised that I'm so like I don't know, like bright and bubbly in terms of how I'm talking about it, because like I was actually dreading it, like genuinely I was dreading um, having to talk about this. Um, So March, well, yeah, it's March now. Um, March 2021 marks two years since I last self-harmed. If you don't watch my YouTube channel, if you don't if you aren't like subscribed to me in any other capacity um then you won't know this but I have been struggling with self-harm for about about four or five years and um it's just been something that's been really really difficult for me to not only wrap my head around but also met but also help other people to wrap their heads around, if that makes sense. So I'm going to be kind of doing some myth busters in the first section of this podcast to kind of help people understand a little bit more about what self-harm is. 
Now, the first myth that I want to bust is that self-harming is a um, is akin to a suicide attempt. So self-harming and self and and suicide are very different you can have um, occasions where people can use the same methods of self-harming to commit suicide but usually self-harming is not about suicide the person may definitely feel not even may the person definitely does feel depressed um, and does feel very stressed and anxious and in a state of um, just emotional um, emotional disarray but that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to kill themselves. And I think that that is probably really hard for people to understand because it's like, especially when we look at media, like like films and TV, especially like youth TV, TV for the youths. Um, it's very like when it does sh- uh, show suicide and when it does show self-harm, um, they do look quite similar. It's usually a person like, this is a massive trigger warning for it just the whole episode is just going to be super trigger heavy so I hope that you know what you're walking into when you listen to this um but yeah when when you're looking at media when you're looking at film and tv and they're showing it's usually like a, a a white white girl who's struggling with some issues and um it's usually her slitting her wrists and there's usually like a bath involved like it's that method and um, that makes it very confusing for people to understand the difference between self-harm and suicide. Um, as I said, it's not the same. But I think that goes into my next myth busting um, thing, which is um, which is like self-harm is um, for attention or self-harm is um, self-harm has no purpose. Self-harm is um it has it's actually very purposeful and for it took me a really it took me a while to actually figure out why I was self-harming so when I was self-harming I um I didn't have a therapist at first and then I got a therapist like maybe maybe a year or two into my self-harming and um I got a therapist through my church and um it was through those therapy sessions that I slowly started to realize what it was what was causing the self-harm um and and the root of it and and I was actually relieved in a sense to find out that self-harming isn't um it's it it doesn't lack meaning like there's a meaning behind why someone's self-harming um so first of all for what I started to realise is that self-harming really is just an unhealthy coping mechanism so the same way as um you know, drinking lots of wine after a very, very stressful day can be an, can be an unhealthy coping mechanism. The same way that um, doing drugs is an, un- an unhealthy coping mechanism. Self-harm is, is, um, is almost like a bandage for a wound that is a lot deeper than the actual, than what you see on the surface. So for me, I realized that like when I whenever I would get triggered I would think about self-harming and it was it was because that was my that my brain had uh, through through the multiple times of me self-harming my brain had started to understand that if I self-harmed I would feel better and I think that is also a, a hard thing to understand is that 
why would someone feel like self-harming would make them feel better and the reason goes back to like the purpose behind self-harm it's an unhealthy coping mechanism but but as a lot of um, psychologists have like explained it's not just that it's an unhealthy coping mechanism it's the way that it works so um, there's a great um, organization called the self-injury support group and their website just talks about why the self um, self-injury happens so they, they call it self-injury rather than self-harm and um, they explain it like this self-injury can be a way of dealing of handling difficult emotions such as sadness self-hate anger detachment or anxiety it can also occur at times when emotion emotions become overwhelming or memories become very disturbing the act of self-injury can act as a release for these feelings leading to a feeling of calm and control but it can also be accompanied by further feelings of self-hate or guilt now that's a really really good way of explaining it because it's it's a way of um what one thing i've realized is that a lot of people who struggle with self-harm also struggle with verbalizing their feelings it's not that they don't it sometimes it's not even that they don't know how to say what they're feeling but sometimes they haven't been in an environment where communication was encouraged or they've been in in, an environment where communication wasn't productive i want you guys to underline that if you're in a in a um in a space where communication isn't productive what happens is your your mind teaches itself to okay if the communication isn't productive if, if my honesty and my vulnerability is leading to more chaos or more um, more um, anger from other people then I'm just going to stay stum. I'm not going to say anything and it causes people to bottle up their feelings and some people like myself when when I bottle up those feelings they're now because they're now happens uh, they're now I don't know where my words are going this episode but th- but at some point there will be a trigger and when that trigger happens it will push out all of those feelings that I've been bottling up inside me and because I've self-harmed before and because my brain has felt a sense of control from self-harming, it will say, let's try self-harming again because it worked for us the last time. Um, now, I hope that that helps people understand um, why people self-harm. Another reason why people self-harm is, as I said, the sense of control. If you feel like things are going um, out of your control, if you feel like things aren't working and you're trying to make things work but it's just not happening and you've tried again and again and again it leads you to a point of frustration where you don't know who to take it out on and sometimes you feel like taking it out on yourself because you feel like you are the reason why the things are not happening why nothing is working and so when self-injury support the website talks about self-hate that's where it comes into play Um, Another thing is that it also gives you a sense of control over the situation because at least if everything is out of your control and you can't touch it, you can't you can't physically manipulate it with your hands, you can't make it malleable in your fists, then the one thing that you can do is hurt yourself. Now, none of this actually works, by the way. It, it feels like it works in the moment. It feels like it works in the moment because of the self-hate and because the self-hate will tell you that you might we might as well we might that like that's what would happen to me like we might as well but the thing is it would always be accompanied by guilt but yes so those are some of the myth busts 
that I wanted to say. Um, Now, I really wanted to go into why I personally started self-harming and like what that journey has been like for me. So um, I first self-harmed when I was, I think I was about 21 um, and I was going through a really, really difficult time at university. Um, My grades were, were just really really bad I was really struggling with the degree I was studying I I felt like I wasn't very good at the degree I was studying and like the the hardest thing about that whole situation was that I I wasn't I was for a long time I wasn't doing anything I was good at um, especially in university because it was something kind of like my parents were more into and it was kind of like okay well you know law is always a steady career and I don't know I I don't know what it is about doing something that's not you or or being something that's not you but it does something to you over time because you're you're trying to make this thing work but you're not good at it and your attempts to be good are only met with failure and I think that's a really difficult thing and and I think one of the saving graces of my university experience actually was um was my YouTube channel Um, because it really gave me a place to um, kind of show show my humor show show my creativity show my artistry um, through that platform in a way that I wasn't able to do like during the week like when I was at university but at this time at this particular time I wasn't really on YouTube at that time and just things with my friendships were just haywire things with university were crazy I didn't really have a lot of close friends at university as well um I had a really really toxic living situation and then on top of that I was doing badly at school and I just remember feeling so low and so hopeless and tired and that was the first time that I self-harmed I actually had a boyfriend um during college um college in the UK is not the same as college in the US by the way it's like when you're 16 to 18 um and he used to self-harm and I I, like part of me wonders if that was like in my in my mind palace like in 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 the history of my mind but I remember self-harming but I don't even remember even thinking about that situation I just remember feeling so much anger at myself and so much lack of control of the situation um and then after that I didn't self-harm until I was like maybe about 23, 24 and I was going through a really difficult period again and it was it was like during it was it was more of work a work thing and it wasn't just work though it was being an influencer and being dark-skinned and being and not having there's a certain aesthetic that black women are expected to have and if you don't have that, especially if you don't have that on Instagram, it can be quite difficult to navigate that space and create um, a life for yourself in terms of an income from these platforms if you don't have a certain aesthetic. And it was very, very difficult for me. And on top of not having a certain aesthetic, I also talked about real difficult issues. Like at that time, like talking about racism really wasn't trendy. Like no one, no one gave a crap about posting a black square. And so I found myself being ignored by 
a lot of PR agencies and no one really wanting to work with me because it was seen as like I was talking about taboo topics that no one wanted to involve themselves with. Um, and I just found it very, very difficult. And actually, it wasn't it wasn't difficult. It was actually impossible. Like, I tried everything. I was trying so many different avenues and it was just not working. And I remember just thinking, like, I don't want to get a nine to five. I've tried having a nine to five. I don't enjoy it, but I want to make this thing work. And my audience seemed to be so interested in what I have to say, but I can't get like outside like forces like these gatekeepers to pay attention to what I'm doing and take me seriously and appreciate my work and I just felt so ignored and what I realize now is that a lot of those feelings are kind of repeat feelings that I had as a child and I think that's the same for so many people I think a lot of the time when we're upset about things like deeply deeply upset about things I don't think it's ever about that thing and I don't think it's ever about a thing that started in adulthood it usually always goes back to childhood and for me I grew up in a very racist very white area um very working class white area I was like one of the only like black children in a huge school Um, And I was bullied constantly. I was bullied constantly for my hair, for my natural hair. And sometimes the bullying would be very, very, um, just very insidious. And I know some people feel um, a way about referring to British racism as insidious and referring to US racism as covert, um, sorry, as overt and our racism as covert. But there there we have to like and i know everyone uses the word nuance but we have to keep a level of nuance here because there there really is something to be said for the fact that 10 year olds know how to bully you without talking about your skin but you know that they're bullying you because you're the other and because we've reached a point in history in society where certain words like the n words certain racial slurs are so um so seen seen socially as so perverse seen so much um as um just 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 overtly racist um white people have learned that and they have taught themselves how to be obviously this isn't all races um this isn't wow this isn't all white people this is um talking about a system of racism and a system of 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 whiteness where this system has taught them to learn how to be racist without using racial slurs so that they can turn around if you ever raise a finger and you can and they can turn around and be like but I didn't say anything racist what do you mean and this happens in the workplace this is what was happening with Meghan Markle and it is a very unique situation that we have here because I think I think in the US, there's a a lot more of those slurs being used. And I'm not saying that they still use them here, too. But I think there's a culture of um, covert racism here that really can't be ignored. And sometimes it's so, so potent that it, it, it can't even be called covert anymore. But I say all that to say that it was a situation that I was constantly dealing with. And it's 
strange because at the time I don't think I fully had the language to describe what was happening to me but it affected me for a very long time and the same situation kind of followed me into secondary school because again I was still in a very white area um, still going to a, to a predominantly white school um, that barely did, didn't even have any other ethnicities in it um, talk much less of like being black um, and what I realized later through therapy is that a lot of that trauma a lot a lot of the bullying and a lot of that trauma affected um, the way I saw myself and the way that you see yourself is really important when we talk about self-harm because and I don't think it's the thing of oh well and I, th- I think it's really reductive and also kind of cruel when people are just like well you clearly don't love yourself hardly anyone on this planet truly has reached the pinnacle of self-love most of us have dealt with trauma that has taught us to doubt ourselves in in one way or the other um and it it takes a very unique living environment for you to not have any self-doubt at all it's just that certain people's self-doubt arises in different ways and the symptoms of that doubt um looks different from person to person um and so for me when i would you know be triggered to self-harm it would be it would be coming from a place of because of who you are innately because of who you are you are not enough and you can try and you can push and you can do whatever you want but it's not going to work and so you need to be resigned to know that you should be happy with nothing and because I had been taught that so much and I think also the fact that there's such a huge culture um, clash when it comes to being British Nigerian and having like immigrant parents who don't fully understand the um they I don't think they even till now I don't think they understand the impact of words I don't think not all but I think a lot of Nigerian parents don't understand the impact of words and because they don't understand the impact of words it's very easy for them to say oh just ignore those people in school or just tell the teacher it's very easy for them to do that. But if you're hearing someone say something to you every single day for five, six, seven, eight years, that's going to do something to you. And if you, if you don't live in an, an, in an environment where parents understand the power of communication and they combat that by rein, reinforcing you with, with positive words and giving you the tools to deal with that negativity or even just taking you out of that negativity negativity if you don't live in that kind of environment it's very difficult and i'm not even blaming our parents because i i don't think they were given um a a, a rule book if that's the word for what they would um for what they would have to endure as immigrants but what their children would also have to endure um, as British Nigerians or second generation immigrants, they really weren't prepared for that. I think we are in a better position for that. And so um, it's been really disheartening when I've heard people be like, oh, well, like, well, like, why weren't your parents saying good things to you? And it's like, they they definitely were. But like, if your parents never really had to deal with racism up until the age of like 
being 25 until they move to this country, they have a completely different lived experience to you where you're dealing with um, microaggressions at the age of like eight. They, ju- they just can't, they can't compute. Do you know what I mean? They cannot, they don't have the language, they don't have the tools to deal with, to, to understand what you're dealing with. And in a, in a world where um, Africans especially have, uh, are only, especially of that generation, like baby boomer Africans, have such a limited understanding of mental health, it's so difficult for, to get on the same page with them when it comes to stuff like this. Um, so it was very, very difficult for me because it, even till now, I have to teach myself not to hear those voices that like, it's not even the voices of like 10 year old little girls anymore. They're like grown, they're like big, big voices in my head. Every time something goes wrong, being like, well, of course it went wrong. What were you expect? Were you expecting anything else? Um, and that's something I'm having to unlearn, especially with therapy, um, journaling, and also like, with my relationship with God, like, I and I, and this is also something that's an issue with with baby boomer Nigerians is that they their view of faith when it comes to um, God is very much like their relationship with their parents. It's very much a, a, a um, you love me because of your acts of service towards me. You, I can tell my parents love me because they paid for my school fees or um, they housed me um, when, you know, or, my, or like my relatives housed me when my parents died or, or so-and-so-and-so happened. It's, not a, it, it's never based on actual relationship. And I think that's really interesting because like, I think a lot of our parents are like, go to church, go to church. But a, a lot of them don't fully... And I'm not even saying they're not Christians. I, I do. I genuinely believe that they are. But I don't think they've really delved into what what real connection and what real relationship looks like, because I think a lot of them, they have issues, issues being vulnerable with us, with their kids or with with their nieces and their nephews talk much, much less of being vulnerable with a deity that they say that they love and they um, they fear. You know, I, I don't know if they they they've experienced that vulnerability um, with God. And for me, I had to learn being vulnerable with God kind of by myself. Like, obviously, like it, I was listening to sermons and I was listening, to, sorry, watching sermons and I was reading, um, reading books and I was listening to podcasts. But it wasn't until I started listening to people like Joyce Meyer and Stephen Furtick and people like that, that I realised that if I don't treat God as my actual dad or, or not even my actual dad as bigger than my dad and I can't come to him as a vulnerable child, then I'm going to consistently have an issue with self-harm because I'm going to be a Christian who doesn't really think that God cares about the dark parts and I had to come to terms with having to be open with the dark parts of myself because the more that you keep things a secret the more they can fester and that's really something pardon me that's really something God had to teach me um and I'm not saying this is everyone's journey this is not everyone's journey but this is definitely um my journey and, and what was very instrumental in terms of my 
um, self-harming is I had to take myself out of how I had been taught to see myself and I had to teach myself to see myself as God sees me it's not it's not something I'm perfect at like it's still something I'm working on and the ironic thing is that literally like this month has been such a hard month for me and I remember speaking to my therapist like at at the time when when I was really struggling a couple of years ago and and talking about the addictive nature of self-harming it's like a it's like a vicious cycle because your brain will be telling you like oh just do it like you'll feel better and then you do it and then you feel terrible because you're thinking crap I, I told her I was like all my friends have been checking on me and we're all like counting the dates and being like okay it's been one month good for you like keep going and now I've relapsed and I feel bad and how could I do this to myself and my scars look so bad and now I can't wear certain clothes and like how could I have allowed this to happen and it it, it it's just it's literally self-destructive because it takes you back to the same place that you were when you self-harmed just in a different in a different space but it takes you back to the self-place of self-criticism and I had to just remember that okay it's addictive it's something that it feels good in the moment because you're angry right you're angry and you feel you feel this pain inside you, you feel this anger inside you and you want it to be released and you want it to come out and you almost want to f- physically feel the anger that you're feeling emotionally that that was a big thing for me like I didn't even have one reason for self-harming it was so many different reasons and I wanted to physically feel it and I remember like sitting in my therapist's room and being like I want people to like look at my arms and think that I messed up like that's how bad I felt about myself because I was like I want to look like my pain I'm in so much pain that I want to I want it to be visible I want it to be visible on myself and um I was doing all sorts I was cutting burning scratching um but it never it never it never gave birth to anything good it always made me feel bad but one thing that was beautiful in that journey was that I learned like that journey was a self-love journey because then like I would have to teach myself okay like your therapist therapy when we spoke about what the healthy coping mechanisms what can we do that's healthy instead of self-harming okay music really helps so if I would get angry I would just put on some music maybe worship music or even sad music like listen if you see me listening to any of these white women Sarah McLaughlin um, Journey Mitchell just know I am not in a good mood okay if you hear me listening to both sides now yeah just it's a write-off leave it just come back later so I would just put on some music if I felt bad or I would try and focus on my breathing or I'd go on a walk I would take myself out of the like that physical situation like those four walls surrounding me sometimes the four walls around you remind you of your pain and you have to take yourself out of it for a little bit so that would help or um things I've heard about other people who suffer with self-harm and they've spoke about like throwing um throwing ice into a into a bathroom or scribbling really hard on a piece of paper or screaming into pillows or like punching a pillow these things really started to help and it, it actually like as I'm speaking I'm like oh my gosh I actually forgot like these are some useful things because like even now it's st- it's still something I struggle with now but it really was a self-harm um, self self-love journey um even though I was teaching myself out of self-harming 
Um, and it was nice when I kind of got to a milestone and I'd be like, okay, like a month. Okay. If I, I can, I can maybe try two months and then I would get to two months and then, you know, I would keep on kind of put, putting work into not just learning the healthy mechanisms, but also unlearning the thought processes that would lead me to self-harm in the first place. So like, if you think about, if you think about it like this, like the first step is the unhealthy mindset and then the second step is wanting to self-harm and then finding another way of dealing with the anger and if I can get back to the to the root and be like okay what was the thought that led you here then I can try and unlearn that and one of the things even just yesterday actually that I realized I've been so introspective in in this pandemic y'all one of the things I realized was that having Nigerian parents sometimes means that you are self-critical and and I don't mean to be harsh but I'm gonna say it in this way Nigerian parents they see us as an extension of themselves when they traveled to this country they suffered so much turmoil and they've seen so much um so much hardship and they've overcome so much hardship and they're still fighting now to have a good life for themselves and they don't want us to go through what they've been through. Now, the problem here (laughs) is that sometimes because they don't want us to go through what they've gone through, the method in which they use to correct us means it's critical. It's criticism. It's why didn't you get 100%? Why did you get 98? Why like and 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 ignoring the good grades but focusing on the bad one because they're terrified that you won't get into uni and they're terrified that you won't get a good job and they're terrified that you won't be able to make a living for yourself and and become an established person and an independent person and so because of that fear and because of that fear of all the things that you could become they're nipping all of the bad things in the bud right now But the issue is that for the child, they don't see that. The child doesn't know all of the thought processes that are going on in this parent's mind. And all the child hears is everything that's wrong with them. Everything that they're not doing right. Everything that they haven't completed. Everything that they haven't achieved. And even though it can maybe be a good motivator in the short term, in the long term, it can cause issues. And this is something that, this isn't even just me. Like if you're African, I'm sure like you're nodding along because you probably have realized some of this, if not all of this as an experience. Um, And to be honest, part of me just thinks, you know, this is also another symptom of white supremacy um it just fear like actual fear in terms of wanting to um protect your children from the hardship that you've had to suffer because you've had a bad government or you've had to deal with incredibly high unemployment rates or you've had to deal with incredibly high financial instability in your nation or in, in incredibly high levels of corruption and violence um and it's just a shame that um, the worries of the father trickled down to be the worries of the son. So right now I'm really focusing on unlearning self-criticism. Like it's something I'm literally just like this week, I'm like, oh my gosh, like every time I get into a, a, a place in my mind where I'm thinking about all the things that have gone wrong, this is all just upbringing. And that kind of excited me because I was like, okay, if I think that 90 things out of 100 are wrong. I'm wrong. 
90 things out of 100 aren't wrong. They're fine. But I've just been teaching myself. I've been taught to focus on the bad things and ignore all the amazing things. And all I need to do now is change my perspective. And once I get that on lock, it's over for (laughs) y'all. So that's what I realized. It's all about, it's all about perspective. I feel like Brene Brown, it's clearly not as easy as that, but there is a freedom in knowing that change is possible. There's a freedom in knowing that there's hope and there was always hope. You just couldn't see it because you were taught not to see it. And that's okay. But now you know better. And when we know better, we can what? Do better. So I really hope that that was a useful episode for you guys. I actually hope I went into proper detail because sometimes I do skim over things but I hope I hope that really covered things for you please do um slide into my dms um and if you want to ask me anything extra like anything that I missed out so you can slide into my dms on um sincerely Oosa on instagram the link is in the show notes or um you don't have the range follow us at you know you don't have the range the podcast um the link to you don't have the range is instagram is also in the show notes but yeah if, if i've left out anything or if you have any questions please please do dm me but in the meantime i hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast please please do give me i always say us who's the us who um please do give me a five star rating on apple Podcasts or google podcast i've fixed things now so you should be able to leave a review and please if you can say something about the podcast about something that resonated with you maybe something that was special to you or a certain podcast episode that meant something to you um because if you do write a written review it helps me to reach more people and that also means i can have more guests hopefully i'm gonna have a great guest i mean i always have great guests but next week should be incredible like specifically incredible so please look out for that but yes i will see you guys next tuesday bye